This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to The Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. You know the one about a week being a long time in politics? Seven days ago, we were wondering if Boris Johnson could style out the Chris Pincher groping affair. Now we're in the thick of a bloody Tory leadership contest and somehow Johnson has resigned and yet is still Prime Minister. We wonder what the caretaker government is taking care of. And we take a look at the contenders for number 10 so that we can pinpoint exactly how things can only get worse. What better way to do that than to look at their campaign videos? All that and more on this week's book. Welcome back to The Bunker. It has been a frankly insane week here and we want to thank all the Patreon backers who enable us to keep covering our collective waking nightmares. If you like the podcast and you want to help us carry on, then please do consider supporting us on Patreon. For as little as £2 a month, you can get the podcast early and ad-free and you'll be helping us to hire more bright, talented people and to keep growing. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how you can become part of the Hidden Bunker Army. Right then, we've got a lot to talk about, so let's meet the panel. First up, welcome back to Times Radio host and former Labour advisor, Aisha Hazarika. Hello, Aisha. Hello, hello. So on Friday, in the middle of Tory apocalypse, it was Labour Christmas because we found out that Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner would not be fined over, quote, beer gate, close quotes. First of all, was this very good timing from Durham Police? I suppose it was good timing. I'm not quite sure if Durham Police did it in terms of you know, coordinating it with the the Prime Minister's um, announcement. But I think the reaction has been really interesting because um, I was actually on Politics Live and Emily Thornbury just got asked about it and she said very, very confidently he's broken absolutely no rules and there's no way. So I think they must, she must have had an, an inkling that things were going in the right direction. I started to get worried because I had actually been at a party a couple of weeks ago with the party lawyer who's normally quite jovial and he looked quite sort of ashen faced throughout it whenever anyone asked him about this question. So I suddenly thought, oh my God, like has something gone terrible? wrong here and knowing the Labour Party's luck um, you know Keir Starmer will have to resign as well but look you know I think he was always pretty confident right from the beginning it's it was a good it's a good thing for him but of course he's going to get no credit from it from the right-wing press I absolutely loved the the headline going because of his damn integrity he's put political pressure <laughs> on, the, on the on the police god what a what a shyster with all this integrity what a bastard yeah, he's got away with doing nothing wrong, Rotter. <laughs> so how, how, with your, uh, you know, pro-celebrity, semi-pro Labour advisor hat still on, um, how should Labour approach the next few months while the Conservatives are tearing each other to bits, do you think? I think just let them get on with it. I think kind of, you know, providing a sort of running commentary on every leadership candidate, I think is really unwise now. Just let them get on with it because whoever wins is going to be very, very difficult for them to turn things around really, really quickly because the the brand has been absolutely tarnished by Boris Johnson 
and sort of all of them who stayed and, and propped him up. So Labour's in quite a good position because if it's somebody very well known, they've been in the cabinet and they've basically aided and abetted Boris Johnson. If it is somebody outside the cabinet, like a sort of Jeremy Hunt or a Tom Tugendhat or a Penny Morden, they're not going to have as much name recognition. So just let the Conservatives play it out. It's already got really nasty. They're all kind of taking chunks out of each other. They're briefing each other. They're sort of, you know, reporting certain people to the police over their, their kind of tax affairs. Just let them get onto it. And the biggest thing Labour should not be doing, and one of the most stupid things I've seen on the left, is having a go at the Conservative Party for having lots of ethnic minority candidates. I mean, that is like the dumbest attack line at all. Just wait and see who is picked, and then you can you'll have plenty of ammunition. Also with us is Marie LeCant, journalist and author of Escape, a book about what it's like to be the first generation to grow up online, available in bookshops from September the 1st. Marie, Elon Musk is trying to uh, pull out of buying Twitter. He put his $44 billion offer in and now he's withdrawn it and Twitter says it's going to sue him to buy them whether he likes it or not. It's quite a novel punishment, isn't it? It is, and I have to say I really enjoy it because originally, obviously, as a very, very heavy Twitter user, I did not like the idea that Elon Musk could just buy Twitter. Like, yeah, even beyond the fact that it's a website I use a lot and I don't like him as a person, it kind of felt wrong for one person to buy something that big. You know, it's kind of like, oh, a person purchases California. Is that, that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, so now I have done a complete 180 now he doesn't want it anymore, I would find it to be the funniest thing in the world if he was forced to own it. <laughs> yeah. So he's just, we're his family now. Yeah. Like, you know, just, we're all he has. You, th- um, you yeah. thought about breaking it, you bought it. Um, should the speaker be able to do this then? It's a great punishment. You lied to the Privilege Committee, so now you have to buy the Evening Standard from two bids. Things like that. Make people buy things as a punishment. I actually really like that. I, I, I think I would be in favour of that. I'm trying to find like quite a good funny one. I'm not sure I have one. Maybe... Because I was about to say, you know, make Boris edit The Guardian for a year. But then I think that would arguably be worse for The Guardian than for yes. Boris Johnson. Maybe make Boris Johnson silently, like, you know, own The Guardian, but not be able to make any changes, but have to attend the morning conference silently every single day for a year. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah as the owner, you know, he has to. He has to get involved. Yeah. Completing our compelling slate of people with bold ideas for the future, yet a deep patriotic feeling for the past, is comedian and broadcaster Ahir Shah. Hello, Ahir. Hello. So there's loads of nuggets in this week's mess, but... A prime one was Sajid Javid claiming that he was convinced to quit after he heard a sermon on integrity at a prayer breakfast in Parliament on the very morning that he quit. Mm. I mean, it's a bit late in the game, isn't it? Oh, yeah, integrity. No, I I totally both believe and like this. Uh, I've decided that that's my position on it because I like to believe that if the sermon had been different, he would have stood up in Parliament and been like, lads, fair play. I've been kicking the shit out of Samaritans on a daily basis, for, <laughs> but it turns out some of them are good. Yeah. <laughs> and so probably I shouldn't have done that. And we'd all be like, oh, right, OK, well, the sermon really got to him. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. Where do you imagine the other uh, resigning he's got there? What, what tip there? Was it like a message on a lolly eye stick or something? Or, you know, you know <laughs> a big clue in the Guardian crossword? Yeah, I think a love heart that said your crash is resigning. <laughs> something like that. That's quite nice. You, you know... It's a weird thing because simultaneously you're like, how has nothing before this been enough for you? Yeah. But equally, like, you do want them to go yes. uh, at some point. So it's 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 an odd position to be in in that regard. Doing right? good things for bad reasons is you're still doing good things, <laughs> mate. Reverend Lovejoy. Yeah. But isn't it, it feels a bit like basically your friend with a terrible boyfriend finally dumping them over something completely inconsequential and you're mm. like, ah, 
Yeah. That, that, that's what did it for you. Sure, you know what? Fine, fine. We're all very happy for you. So, yeah, it's. I think it's when I think you just, I completely agree. I think you just have to be like, yeah, they're good. W- welcome back. Hello. Take the win. <laughs> mm. The most ignominious downfall of a political leader since that one that starred Bruno Gantz ended in Boris Johnson finally announcing his departure last Thursday. Much to the dismay of literally everyone, the Prime Minister said he would stay on as caretaker PM, whatever that means, until a successor is chosen. So how's that going to work in practice? Before Johnson eventually somehow leaves office, what will a couple of months of lame duck government mean for Britain at home and abroad? Are we just strapped to an oil tanker called Boris that can't be turned around? Um, Marie, when we call this podcast The Bunker, we never thought that the government would end in an actual bunker scene with the beloved leader, you know, promoting the Hitler Youth and things like that. What was it like observing this uh, through your political commentary lens close up? It was extremely odd, let me tell you, because um, last week also happened to be, I think, the main week of the Westminster summer party season. Uh, so everyone was out. Um, mm. So on the, what was it? So Tuesday, it was Tuesday, wasn't it, when Rishi and Sajid resigned from government. So that was, uh, there were several parties that evening. And it was very odd. So the, the, the one, one of the ones I went to was basically in this gigantic garden in Westminster. And it became, so like physically, it was fascinating to observe because there was about like, three quarters of the garden where everyone was, you know, happily chatting and kind of being like, oh, what's going to happen next and one quarter like the conservative mps had literally gone to hide altogether <laughs> and were not really talking to anyone else what, like and the were goths clearly... at a party <laughs> it was yes no it was and, and the weirdest combinations of mps as well so you know proper so like right-wing headbangers talking to centrists etc so that was very odd and then the next day uh, there were also several parties and and yeah the the mood was odd and also i think how quickly the vibe kept changing was weirdly fascinating. So I remember arriving at the party I was at a thing for a think tank uh, at about so, you know six thirty p.m. and I was talking to some friends and I was like, okay, consensus here like, within our group of kind of you know Westminster watchers um, is that he cannot survive. You know he will he will be gone by next Tuesday. I think we thought you know like, that's when uh, he'll get pushed out by Conservative MPs. Then about two hours later, I had another chat with a similar group of people, like literally including half the same people, and they were like, obviously he will be now staying on until October. <laughs> um, then I, yeah, then I spoke to some MPs who were like, probably in September? And it was like, depending on the person you spoke to, and also just the time of the evening, everyone's assessment kept changing, because everything was moving so fast that we had no idea. I think there was weirdly a consensus, actually, by Wednesday evening, by sort of about 9pm, because he'd still not resigned that he was probably safe for a bit. And obviously, yeah, I, I'm pleased to say we we called it wrong. So, you know, it, it was profoundly odd because I do think that Boris Johnson is ultimately quite unpredictable. And even the people who have worked alongside him for quite a long time just do not know him that well, I think. I mean, it was in one respect, we all kind of enjoyed it sort of insofar as you can enjoy the smashing of British dem- democratic norms. But do you think that it the refusal to resign episode actually has done lasting damage or is it just further tarnishing the reputation of the man with the worst reputation in the in history I so I don't think so I think he just about timed it fine even a couple more days would have been worse but I think the fact that he did sleep on it and think okay fine fine and then you know resentfully resign means that it probably is fine I mean it doesn't look good for him at all but I don't think we're in kind of Trump-like territory um so yeah no, I, I think you know I'm not concerned for Britain in that very specific narrow way what was your favorite bit of clown fall week I hear <laughs> So I think that my favourite bit has been looking on it in retrospect and on Boris Johnson's premiership in retrospect and realising 
that even after all of this, I still think that David Cameron is the worst prime minister yeah. this country has ever had. And there's something really wonderful about the fact that Boris Johnson, like he was like, well, the other boy from school became prime minister, so I'm going to be prime minister as well. And it's like, you weren't even as shit as him, if you really think about it. Because he, he was in for a good six years and fucked up a lot of stuff, uh, right? Whereas Boris was sort of like in, in for a comparatively short time, uh, hasn't actually achieved a very great deal. And the things that he has achieved that will cause, listen, that's from my perspective, at least great damage to this country uh, going forward were things that uh, originated with decisions that David Cameron made uh, during... 2015 general election campaign, effectively. So, yeah, I I weirdly like that as a result of Clownfall Week, Boris Johnson will have left the office of Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, but will have been second worst to David Cameron. Even crap at being crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the farewell speech has gone down as a masterpiece of denial, no contrition, no self-examination. It was all the fault of the herd. He's clearly incapable of learning any lessons, and it doesn't really matter anymore because he's on his way out. But do you think that anybody inside the Tory sphere has learned anything from this episode? I hope so. I am sure that that hope is to some extent, misplaced. Like, certainly I don't feel as though Nadine Dorries is going to have some sort of Damascene conversion as a result of uh, this. Uh, it's slightly upsetting, or no, it's more than slightly upsetting that it became very clear that it was just because various MPs were like, well, he's no longer going to be able to win general elections and the purpose of the Conservative Party is just to be in power for what sake we know not but it is just like and if I'm no longer going to be an MP because this guy isn't as popular as he was in 2019 then we'll just give the boot uh, to this guy that was uh, pretty depressing but he, he fundamentally seems incapable of learning these lessons and I think that that is one of the more Trumpian qualities about him. I will say that there have been comments about like, oh, this is why we need a written constitution. It seems like our unwritten constitution actually dealt with this pretty well, even when it came to a guy who clearly had very little grip on reality in his own position and didn't want to go. So I think that that's sort of fine. I don't expect any change from him. The system actually, I think, held up pretty well, all things considered. And I hope for some change from the other members of the Parliamentary Conservative Party, but I feel as though it's very much a superficial change out of uh, finally realising their self-interest no longer lies with this man. Aisha Johnson's going to stay on as a caretaker prime minister, which we have seldom heard of happening for such a long period of time before. It seems on the face of it completely insane. He says he's going to carry on delivering on his mandate, a mandate he hasn't really got. What, what are you expecting from the uh, kind of uh, encore routine of the Johnson premiership? So just to take a step back, I, I kind of, I probably disagree with my esteemed colleague here. I actually think he is the worst prime minister this country has ever seen. Don't and give I him think... the satisfaction, Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the fact that he wanted to be Churchillian. He wanted to go in on for like, you know, decades and decades. And he's actually, his tenure is one of the most embarrassingly short tenure. Mm. That is what I love about all of this. Because to, to, to have an, an 80 seat, majority, which is a really stunning victory, a stunning victory. And to fuck it up so spectacularly and so quickly is really quite amazing. So I think he is the worst prime minister that we've ever had. Yes, uh, David Cameron made many decisions that, that you know, uh, you know, laid the, the way. But, you know, you could argue there were also decisions done before that that probably laid the way in terms of where we are now. 
I think the thing that I found so worrying about Boris Johnson was that if it hadn't been yet another horrible, really nasty sex story and then the the lying, I actually think that that's obviously what brought him down in the end. I think he would have carried on doing the big things that he wanted to do, like smashing up the civil service, uh, changing the law in terms of immigration. I think he was absolutely hell-bent on smashing up a lot of the institutions in this country. And look, most of the Conservative Party were fine about that, by the mm-hmm. way. They had these whopping majority. He's, he was winning pretty much everything he put to Parliament. And it does actually quite scare me to think, you know, if Sajid Javid had not resigned, we would probably have him in for quite a long time until the next general election. And there's a massive chance that he could have won the next general election as well. So I think I think this country's come actually really, really close to some, I mean, some terrible things have happened, but I think he would have done so much more damage. And I think the sort of unwritten constitution did hold up, but it only held up because at the end of the day, Sajid Javid at six o'clock was like, yeah, I've had enough, basically. And I think there was a period on Wednesday night, um, and I was doing media from Wednesday night, and then I was doing Good Morning Britain, at sort of, you know, very early at six o'clock with, you know, Quentin Letts, who, let's be honest, absolutely cheer-led Boris Johnson yeah. all the way. And there was a serious question being asked, and I was on, I was presenting Drive on Times Radio on, on Wednesday, and even the spectator was coming on and saying, we don't think he's going to go. We genuinely don't think he's going. It doesn't matter that everybody has lost confidence in him. The fact that the palace was probably involved with background conversations where if he did go to the Queen and say, I want to have a general election, she was going to have to say, no, you're not having a general election and you're going to have to bring in that man that thought the sea was closed to be Prime Minister for a while. I mean, that is how nuts things got. In terms of his mandate, he doesn't really have a, a mandate. He doesn't really know what he wants to deliver. But what is going to be interesting is the kind of continuity Boris Johnson that we're going to see, because even the more moderate candidates are not going to move off the Rwanda policy. They're not going to move off the Northern Ireland protocol strategy. They're very much going to stick to a sort of Boris Johnson policy legacy. Yes, there's going to be some fighting over tax cuts, but I don't think, I think in some ways his legacy will continue because none of the Conservative candidates want to shift to the centre. They want to carry on, particularly if they've got to win with the members. It's a bit like Keir Starmer with the Labour Party. You have to tack left with the Labour Party. You have to tack tack right to the Conservative Party. I mean, unless the plan is, again, sort of doing a bit of a Keir Starmer, they're going to tack right. They're going to say they're going to carry out all these Boris Johnson things. And then if they become prime minister, they'll they'll re-pivot themselves, which is entirely possible. But I actually think he did huge damage to this country. And I think he's going to continue to do huge damage to this country for quite some time through, you know, people wanting to sort of cling on to this mandate stroke popularity he had with the country. The thing that I'm holding out hope for is that they're going to try to achieve these Johnson-esque things without that sort of demonic charisma that he had that enabled them to get it through. I mean, it's one thing having, you know, Johnson whiff-waffing his way through the arguments. It's quite another thing to have some of the kind of the B-list of the Z-list as we've got at the moment. And just to throw in my uh, my party anecdotes, I was at the Spectator Party on Thursday night, which was absolutely fascinating because it literally was like the hustings beginning. And you saw cabinet ministers and potential leaders holding court with various people. And, you know, I had chats with Rishi Sunak and um, Nadim Zahawi and, and loads of people were there. But what's so interesting is 
a it's like Boris who I mean I mean he wasn't even like a topic of conversation apart from at one point when a slight fight broke out with somebody from Michael Gove's team and somebody <laughs> from Boris Johnson's team but what you're so right because none of them have got anywhere near the sort of charisma factor or the ability to sort of um, bring people round. I mean, they're great at sort of a spectator party, and they'll be, they'll, you know, they'll be fine at conservative party dues and constituency dinners. But absolutely not. What he did have, which is undeniable, he did have a, a, an appeal to to people, um, and you know, we can spend ages discussing why that was. But none of the other candidates come close. So it's going to be interesting to see whoever wins, how they pursue whatever the Johnsonian kind of legacy is, but with none of the charm, none of the humour and none of the sort of stardust. Yeah. I mean, I've got a question for all of you, really, which is, and this is a horrible thought, is Boris Johnson's career really over? Because, you know, we last week we talked about destroyed, over, forever, anathema. But he has this horrendous kind of rat-like ability to survive. Do you think that there could be some renaissance, for, apart from just you know writing crap for the Telegraph as usual? Um, so I think that the first thing I'll say is that, and this is shamelessly nicking a tweet, uh, which I really enjoyed of saying, you know, like Boris, that one thing that, you know, one silver lining for him is that finally he will be able to spend all his time socially with, you know, his remaining supporters like Dan Kaczynski and Dean Dorries and Andrew Jenkins. Like, Definitely people he loves and <laughs> would love to spend time with. Uh, more seriously, so I'm not. I'm not convinced. Actually, as a as a former Telegraph employee myself, um, I'm, I'm not convinced the Telegraph would take him back because actually they got very very angry with him over the lockdown stuff because they went a bit mad on yeah mm. on on you know over the pandemic. So I'm not sure. And then I mean, where? So I suppose the Mail is still very much backing him, but then he doesn't really strike me as a Daily Mail kind of person. So I, so weirdly, I think that so we're probably finally going to get that bloody book on Shakespeare that he's been threatening oh, to write for many years. Yeah, I mean, I have been waiting, weeping yes. at the door of the publishers every how morning. Shakespeare loved loved drinking and shagging and telling a joke and hated the French. That's what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait. I mean, surely he's going to get some big broadcasting gig. He's going to get oh, something on GB News or Fox News or Talk TV and he'll start a podcast. He'll definitely some start some No, 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 not allowed. We're not having him. We don't want to. Do you know what? He, Nigel Farage, and Donald Trump will start a, a podcast. Oh, God. What a thought. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, let's get into the contestants in the Tory leadership contest, a.k.a. Britain's Got Tyrants. Your delightful choices for potential prime minister chosen for you by Conservative MPs and potentially the powerful constituency known as the Blue Rinse Wall. So far, 11 MPs have thrown their hats into the ring, including Tom Tugan hat, who is now just Tom Tugan, because he hasn't got a hat anymore. <laughs> Former Chancellor Rishi Sunak is the bookmaker's favourite, followed by Penny Mordaunt and Liz Truss. First ballots of this week, the 1922 committee aims to have the field down to two by next Thursday, 
Thursday, when it will then go before fewer than 100,000 party members who are largely white, male, over 60, and located in the southeast of England. So, Asia, three themes have emerged in the in the early rounds, early skirmishing, the phony war. One is that the briefing has been really, really poisonous and vicious. Another is that there's been loads of talk about woke, as if it's the main issue facing the country. And the third is that everybody but Rishi Sunak is campaigning on cutting taxes. So I want to ask you firstly about the briefing. Um, the, the, the viciousness of this seems to be pretty apparent. The Telegraph has a report. Rishi Sunak is a schoolboy and a liar who cannot be trusted on tax, according to a mucky memo being circulated among Tory MPs. What's your sense of the, of the kind of briefing war at the minute, Ayesha? Well, I think it is going to get um, quite nasty. Um, it's, I saw this afternoon just before we started recording. It's It's been rumoured that um, somebody who is close to Pretty Patel's team has been involved in this sort of, you know, anti-Rishi Sunak briefing document that's been doing the rounds. But of course, um, it's not just that. I mean, Boris Johnson has been using Jacob Rees-Mogg to go and uh, massively brief against Rishi Sunak. I mean, Rishi Sunak is the person who they are all absolutely against. It's really ironic because this is the one time where Boris Johnson and Jolly and Morn agreed that they both hate Rishi Sunak and <laughs> <laughs> want him to be Prime Minister. Um, a rare moment of alignment. But I think it is going to get nasty. I spoke with four Conservative MPs on my uh, radio show yesterday and they were all kind of saying, oh, we don't want it to get nasty. But even in the course of sticking up for their person, they were like briefing against other people as well. I mean, that is par for the course in most um, parties. I certainly know from my own experience going for selection in the Labour Party and, and, you know, having worked on Labour Party um, leadership um, bids, it does get very nasty. The sort of inter-party stuff can be absolutely vicious. And of course, it's a really stupid thing to do because you know, all these people are going to end up working with each other in the cabinet. So it is a bit stupid and it's a bit dumb for them to, to be um, briefing against each other. Penny Morden's interesting. They've all come after Penny Morden on the woke stuff. So the Spectator and others and Suella Braverman is really sort of like coming after um, on her. I mean, it's, it's quite depressing that this leadership context, given we have massive inflation, we have huge, big problems, structural problems facing this country, and the main themes are going to be cutting taxes and being horrible to trans people. I mean, that does seem to be the the sort of, you know, the, the fault lines. But the tax stuff is interesting. The tax stuff is really, really interesting because apart from Rishi Sunak, all the candidates are um, really making a big, big pitch to, to cut taxes. As somebody tweeted to me today, how on earth was it possible for this cabinet of, of low tax Tories to get all of these tax rises through while they were mm. sat in the cabinet? And of course, that's the big attack line that the Labour Party should be working on. That's the big thing that they should be sitting on. But what is difficult is how all of this adds up. Rishi Sunak's uh, video was interesting. He had this line saying, we've got to stop believing in fairy tales. And actually, Paul Johnson from the IFS was out um, yesterday afternoon saying, look, if you're promising all these tax cuts, then you're going to have to make really big cuts in spending. You're going to have to do radical surgery on the welfare state or you're going to have to do what Nadeem Zahawi is talking about, which is massive austerity, huge cuts to state departments. And there's not a lot left to cut because we've just had all this austerity from the, the Cameron and the, the Osborne years. So it does feel like it is quite a bleak uh, prospect that we're that we're looking at. And I do remember, you know, people always say about Labour, oh, it's the, the magic money tree. Labour don't really understand the, the economy. That's always been the attack line. But it is looking to be, I mean, the economics that the candidates are putting forward are incredibly shonky because you cannot both have 
big tax cuts and have good public services. You ju- you cannot have them both. Sam Friedman from the New Statesman says uh, the corporation tax cut proposed by Javid and Hunt would cost around as much as the annual Home Office and Justice Department budgets combined. And the Javid's cut in particular, he wants the corporation tax cut to 15% and to reverse the national insurance hike. That's 40 billion quid. That's the defence budget. Yeah. The entire defence budget. These are ridiculous numbers and we can see why uh, Starmer's going hard on the idea that it's 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 fantasy thinking. Um, Marie, I want to ask you about uh, one person in particular, Penny Morden, because you, she was your top tip. Top she Lecomte was. tip. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's her pitch looking like and, and how's, how's her, how are her fortunes looking, do you think? Um, so her pitch is somewhat puzzling, I would say. So what was, the, I can't remember the exact wording of the slogan, but it's something along the lines of, you know, what the Conservative Party needs is a bit less leader and a bit more ship. <laughs> yeah. Which which is one of those where I can tell, I bet they actually had a brainstorming meeting at the last heat wave and they may be sitting there for about an hour and a half in a small room, you know, windowless. And then eventually someone said, hang on, hang on. <laughs> this will do. Leadership. That's yeah. two words in it. Um, and then they were like, yeah, fine, fine. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I, I do find it slightly puzzling. They're using that. I, I don't know. I'm. She's what doing... is the matter with them? Pennies from heaven is right there. It's sitting nice. right <laughs> there. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I found it quite odd. Again, I think it's one of those where she's, you know, to be blunt, her pitch is that she's a very telegenic woman who used to be in the army, who voted for Brexit. Actually, campaign was one of the main people in the Vote Leave campaign. Um, and who served as, as defence secretary? Like, surely that's it. If you're mm. talking to conservative members and conservative members of parliament, that is kind of all you need. Like, you know, I am an attractive woman who can, you know, stand on a tank and who actually cares about more tanks. That, that, gonna, that's basically I'm gonna, it. I'm going to take that sentence out of context and have you saying I'm an attractive woman who can sit on a tank in future <laughs> social media posts. Ah, uh, here, uh, Rishi Sunak is still the early front runner, even though as we've just heard, everybody's got everybody's out to get him, get Rishi, with his suspiciously early video and suspiciously early website. Um, the guy who brings the PM down never gets to be the, be the PM, though, do they? Well, so I will say that the swiftness of lots of these sort of campaign, you know, the campaign websites that it turns out were registered months ago, if not even further, and the slickness of the videos that I'm sure we only turned these out in the last two hours, honest. Uh, And it really reminds me of um, shortly before my best mate got engaged, uh, his now wife uh, very much knew that this was going to happen at some point in the near future and was getting like weekly manicures in order to make sure that her hand would Perfect for like a photo with the engagement ring when the time came. So she was like, "Oh my god, I'm so surprised!" And it's like just these perfect, ready uh, nails and everything. And that's what I think that these people have been doing. They've just been watching scandal after scandal and after scandal accumulate over years, and metaphorically having their nails done every week, ready for when the time came. They must have spent a fortune down the metaphorical nail bar, and there must have been some actual real hairdos that <laughs> fortune spent on real hairdos, so they look well, right. Fortunately, Mr. Sunak can afford it. I'm led to believe. Ask him, Mr. Zahawi. He absolutely can. Um, other candidates. Who's got the best chance? Grant Shapps, Michael Green, Sebastian Fox or Corinne Stockheath? I, <laughs> see, I have a great deal of respect. Uh, no, uh, sorry, respect is the I, No, respect. Fondness. Fondness is the word that I'm looking for. I have a great deal of fondness for Grant Shapps just because he seems to be the physical embodiment of the phrase some guy. Yes. Right? That's, some that's, guys. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just chancing it. He's the sort of person who, if you knew him, every so often you'd just say, 
mate. And that's all you need to say. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like that word in and of itself. And what I really, what I found really remarkable about uh, Mr. Shapps's, um campaign video is like this is the shortest one. It's like fifteen second thing, and the entire pitch is essentially, I know how to get our current crop of conservative MPs re-elected at the next yeah. general election. And so the pitch is that there's nothing like for the wider country or like this yeah. is the vision that I have for Britain. It's if you don't want to lose your job, I'm the guy. Yeah, it's, it's a, refreshingly honest. It's a decaffeinated version of come with me if you want to live. <laughs> yeah. no, I was going to say, so weirdly, I'm actually kind of obviously having uh, having had to watch all the videos today. I'm very pro that because he knows, you know, you have yeah. to talk to the electorate you're talking to. And you know what? This, you know, right now it's MPs. And then yeah. I'm sure he'll do another video from members after that. And, you know, the country, whatever. I think I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm, I mean, it is overwhelmingly ironic, but I've decided I'm just a huge fan of Grand Chaps and I want him to be Prime Minister. Like a friend of mine, I think that I've brought down a friend with me because he tweeted this morning, tits out for Grand Chaps. <laughs> right. And I'm considering making a t-shirt now. Aisha, any thoughts on that? I mean, I have to agree. I thought Grant Chaps' video was absolutely genius because it was it wasn't one of these where the Hovisad meets, you know, Little Britain meets, um, you know, day to day sort of thing. It was short, sharp. And ultimately, the only reason they have finally moved against Boris Johnson is because they looked at all the polling and most of them are like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my seat. So that is the only thing that has motivated this, this is complete self-preservation. The other thing that I quite respected Grant Schaap for, although it will do him no favours in this horrible, nasty contest, is he did actually say, I don't want to go down and do all these culture war stuff. He basically said, I think there's bigger things we should be worrying about, like inflation, like the cost of living, like the economy. I just think, you know, just... And I actually did quite respect that. Now, of course, everybody's like piling onto him now and he'll get like no support. But I kind of quite respect the fact that he actually sort of had the guts to say it. Strange love for the multi-personality moon knight of the... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, the bunker yeah. is now formally endorsing Grant to be the next Tory leader. I hear. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Asia, you can you can have a go at these uh, odd, like cloyingly patriotic and slash Little Britain style videos, but I tell you, watching Penny Mordaunt's one at one minute thirty eight, and I remember the exact timestamp. That's when Captain Tom came out, and you knew from second <laughs> I'm so one. Happy for him. Yeah, Captain. <laughs> live your truth, Captain Tom. But. Uh, it's. I knew from the beginning that the video started. Captain Tom was going to be in that video, and wait. It was like it was like wait for the drop, wait for the drop, wait for the drop. And it was like when you know "Dance Yourself Clean" by LCD Sound System. It's like when that bah, 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 that thing came out. That was Captain Tom. I was like, yeah, come on, Captain Tom. I've never heard that comparison before. We're going to talk more about the about the campaign videos in in a minute. But I have two subjects I have to raise. One is the, uh, shall we say, the more fringe candidates, Kemi Badenoch and Suella Braverman, of the, shall we say, outer limits of conservatism. What do we think of, of Kemi Badenoch? She's, she's an inexperienced uh, minister, known primarily for basically dragging a journalist in the in the Commons for doing their job, and suddenly has the backing of Gove, who in a kind of uh, Emperor Palpatine uh, mm. role here. What do you think, Marie? That was so. I, I'm very happy to actually put my hand up and say that I did not see that coming. The amount of endorsements uh, Kemi Badenoch has had, and especially, I mean, what I found a bit depressing um, is that you know, effectively, what she did is write an 800-word uh, op-ed in the Telegraph uh, that was legible, 
And then the amount of people who are like, oh, my God, a prime minister in, in yeah. waiting. She can write sentences. Um, but no, so I think the Michael Gove thing is quite interesting. So the theory I've had put to me is that basically that is his way of postponing having to make a real endorsement. Mm. But um, but yeah, no, so that was kind of odd. Mm. Like, Suella Braverman, I can see a bit more because obviously she was in cabinet and she used to be the head of the ERG. Um so that that makes a bit more sense to me. Obviously, it's not you know not, not my favorite person in the world, but that makes a bit more sense. But yeah, Kemi Badenoch, I feel like that slightly came out of nowhere. It definitely did. Can so, I just say something on Kemi Badenoch, which is really interesting? So I think she's actually quite an impressive performer. I mean, she's got some really like quite nasty um, politics, but of course that's going to that's like catnip, right? To the yeah. of the Conservative it's job party. description. Yeah, but. Um, but what's interesting about her is, and compared to Suella Braverman, who is, has also got some really nasty views, Suella Braverman is just really quite unimpressive. Once you just get past that, I'm prepared to say really nasty things and don't vote for me because I'm a woman or brown, vote for me because I'm like really quite unpleasant. She hasn't got that much there. Kemi Badnock is a good orator. Like she, one of her kind of first speeches, one of her, I think it was like a maiden speech or something, was really impressive. Like she is quite a savvy performer. But the other thing, which my other famous Kemi Badnock story is, she hacked into Harriet Harman's account. This is before she was an MP. What? She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She like hacked into Harriet Harman's account and started sending all these weird messages. And now, to be fair, Harriet Harman's password was not genius. It was Harriet Harman one. <laughs> <laughs> Harriet so, Harman two is going to have something to say about yeah, exactly. that. Exactly. So, so to be fair, she didn't exactly. It wasn't like hacking into NASA. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, what like was something? So she rang me at one point <laughs> because um, it all kind of came to light that basically she had done this, and she rang me and she was like, "Oh my god, please will you speak to sort of Harriet because it was just really stupid. I shouldn't have done it." Now, ironically, Harry and I had quite a long chat and we were like, well, you know, she was young and stupid. And of course, there aren't many young black female, you know, MPs mm. in Parliament and, you know, you know, she being a sort of, you know, conservative, we've got to sort of do the, the right thing. And of course, cut to her basically being like, there's no institutional racism, <laughs> there's no kind of. So I kind of feel like, you know, maybe maybe we should have been less kind. But what's interesting is that she was at Spectator Party, I had a long chat with her and she was actually saying to me, oh, people are really asking me to stand. And I was thinking, mm, that's interesting. And then she was really bigging up Rishi Sunak to me, like massively bigging him up, saying he's fantastic. And then he came over, we had a bit of a chat, and then they obviously were chatting. I suspect what is going to happen is that they are going to do some sort of deal where she will do quite well in the sort of beginning rounds, and then she'll step back and she'll get a job in his cabinet and she'll transfer a lot of her support over to him. And I think Marie is right from that point of view. It's easier for Gove to back her now, and then if she drops out, everyone can transfer their support to Rishi Sunak. Mm-hmm. Well, before we move on, which candidate do we think Labour would fear the most, Marie? That's a tough one. Weirdly, I would say maybe Penny Mordaunt, actually, because mm-hmm. she's the one, she's one of the rare people who managed to actually fight back quite effectively against Angela Rayner in the Commons a few years ago. And Angela Rayner, I think, being a massive asset in the chamber. And yeah, and I think Penny managed it quite well. So I would say, yeah, probably her. Are you sure? I do think Penny Mordaunt would be quite an issue, um, would be quite problematic. I still think... Oh, I think Kemi Badnock would actually be really, really difficult for the Labour Party because despite what lots of people say on the left, you know, Labour going up against a black woman would be mm. like a big, big headache for the for the for the Labour Party. But obviously she's not she's not gonna go win. I still do think Rishi will be the one who eventually wins. And I don't I think 
you know, he's got loads of problems, of course, with all the non-dom stuff. But I don't think he's going to be an absolute pushover if um, if he does win it. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think that the only person that the Labour Party fear is the one candidate that we've not mentioned yet. <laughs> and that is? That is nothing but respect for my Prime Minister, Raman Shishti, MP for Gillingham. <laughs> Who we'll be talking about in a moment. Dark horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now?, the politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Let me tell you a story. We're starting the process of electing a new leader of the Conservative Party. The party will have a new leader. Hi everyone, it's Roman here. Today, after careful consideration, I've decided to seek the nomination. The United Kingdom is a great country. This young woman came to Britain, where she managed to find a job. My name is Sajid Javid. I live between Bromsgrove and London with my wife and four children. Okay, let's look at the most powerful tool in this battle, the campaign video. Whether it's a hastily assembled montage of footage that you don't own featuring people who hate you, hello Penny Mordant, or a handheld camera in a nice back garden, hello Remont Shishti, then they can be the difference between number 10 and P45. We've watched them all, so you don't have to. Um, we've already mentioned Rishi Sunak's video a little bit, let me tell you a story. Uh, is Nan coming to the UK? Lots of stirring piano. Marie, what did you think of the Rishi video? Um, so this is going to be a slightly niche complaint, and maybe because I do television as well, so I noticed that stuff, but there was clearly a script that was very slightly obviously like you know away from the camera and you could see like if you look at it you could see his eyes flicking yes. between the two in a way that is quite noticeable and I'm a bit like you have been a very senior politician for a long time now either put the script somewhere else or learn it or do or you know cut or, yeah. I, I don't know but like, it, I found it weirdly very distracting because then once I started noticing it I kept looking out for it so I didn't really take in anything he was saying but felt- do you not sorry do you not think that that's him trying to position himself against some of the under candidates by showing off that he can read <laughs> It's certainly an advance against It's a pretty big move. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that stuck out for me, I mean, apart from the fact, you know, they all have the rising staring piano, don't they? But the bit that stood out for me was him saying, we've had enough of division. <laughs> I'm like, wait till Rishi hears about the government that he's been in. <laughs> I thought that was quite astonishing. But it, it was it was in, in its own way, it was kind of, Aisha, it was kind of cuddly Thatcherism, wasn't it? It was like, give children a chance, be all you can be, selflessness, honesty, de- determination. And so, look, we would all sneer at it, of course, because that's who we are. But I think actually from all the candidates, that one I think would probably play best with the the public because I know everyone's like yawning about his backstory, Mm. but a lot of people, that is quite interesting to to a lot of people. I mean, when you compare it to some of, what was interesting is that was all about him. Now, the, the Penny Morden video that everybody is really, really slagging off, the one thing that I thought was quite admirable about the Penny Morden video was that it wasn't it wasn't about her until the end 
Whereas the Rishi Sunak was like, here is my Ben Stiller, Zoolander kind of thing. Mm. It's all about me and my family. I thought hers was quite interesting just because it was not pitched towards her. The other thing I thought was interesting about hers is she did say, look, there are some good people in other political parties as opposed to, you know, we're always the, the best. And she thought she had a picture of Joe Cox and things like that. Um, but her video has just been beset with all these problems because all these people are coming. In fact, Captain Tom has had a seance and he wants to take <laughs> out the, the, yes. the video. What struck me about Penny Morton's one is, it, I mean, it actually starts with I vow to thee, my country. It's so on the nose. But the voiceover is like, you know, you have Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley. That's sort of a Werther's <laughs> original kind of vision, vision of Britain. Is this is? I mean, we've got to remember these are not aimed at the general public, really. They're aimed at MPs. This is the one I thought was aimed most squarely at somebody in a bath chair in Bournemouth. You know, it really was, <laughs> you know, a blanket over your knee. And as you say, she's, she, she's hardly in it. What stood out for me from that was she was almost saying... You know, everything has been awful for years and years, but let's not talk about the bad things around. Let's talk about the future. It was very British in that respect. You know, the the thing with the Rishi video, I, I actually didn't scoff at it. I thought it was kind of, it, it was honest in its own terms. It just had a yeah. big blank bit in the middle where it was like, my family, a chemist, my father, my mother working hard, something, 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 billionaire. Well, what happened in the middle bit? What happened yeah, to no, the... So I would, and, and I have said this actually to friends, I would be willing to start publicly backing Rishi if he really leans into the whole, I'm actually a sugar baby to a very rich woman. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I'm the arm candy. Definitely. Yeah, so let's trust one. I had a strange experience with this because I hit play and I heard, I'm not going to lie to you, I've lapsed and that's hard because I'm a very positive girl. <laughs> and I'm like... Wow, she's really opening up here. It was a, it, it was actually a Nicorette advert that was playing on a pre-roll before a video. I said, oh, no, she's not like that at all. And instead what we got was more tinkling pianos and drone shots of Newcastle. And she just says, deliver, 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 like she's a midwife throughout the whole thing, doesn't she? Um, and, you know, repeating our country's best days lie ahead, which they've been saying since 2016. What did we think of Liz's video? I thought I thought I, it was like a less good modern. I like job. like I, you know, I I personally have never been in like a birthing suite or something, but I didn't realise that midwives just sort of wrap the word <laughs> deliver. At, at you. I'll ask my sister because it's like that. Yeah. She must have found that very difficult. They just, shout, they just shout at you until it pops out. Yeah, I just started singing Stan and Deliver in my head uh, while the video was playing, which didn't help. Oh my god, that's such a great slogan for somebody: Stan and Deliver. Yeah. Mm. Or it kind of reminded me of like when Louis Walsh was on The X Factor, like one of his kind of classic lines would always be like, do you know, you're like the postman, you always deliver. And I, was thinking, <laughs> I thought her video was appalling. You know, to, it was just shots of her. Like also, I just thought when she's been going around the world doing all her like kind of her day job, she's just been filming everything the whole time for, for for this video, really. I mean, I just, I thought hers was actually the most disappointing. And I think she should have got Jan Ravens to do her video for her. I think that would have been much better. It would certainly have shown a sense of humour that she perhaps doesn't possess in real life, I would have thought. Yeah. I was, so I'm going to really disagree. I think, it, I, I thought it was quite good. And I think actually... The, the number of shots of her, you know, capital D, capital S, doing stuff was actually quite good and quite clever because because quite a few of the people who, who are, you know, standing are actually relatively untested. And I think reminding people of the fact that, you know, she's actually done quite a lot and she's actually been a cabinet minister for quite a long time. I, I wonder if some of those 
uh, some of that film that wasn't used is uh, actually might belong to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, and maybe she hasn't uh, got is, access. It is being investigated as we speak. Oh well, there um, we go. I saw yeah. on Twitter earlier. So yeah, some of it may have been filmed by the civil service and not by political um, staff. Mm. But like Liz has got much better content social media. Like she's shown me pictures of like her having selfies with Taylor Swift and stuff like that. That is the video I wanted to see from Liz. But you're, you not an octogenarian. <laughs> you're not an octogenarian in Western Superman. Oh, give it time. Honestly, I feel like an octogenarian. <laughs> we'll try and get you on. So Sajid Javid just put out the same video from three years ago, which is pathetic. I want people to take a fresh look at the Conservative Party, he said in 2019. <laughs> and he still wants it. That's bad, isn't it? That's lazy. It is. Well, I, <laughs> it's, I, I, I feel like, you know, as a lazy person myself, I just have to actually defend him. I say stand up and defend him, but I'd rather sit, actually. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think if I were to defend him, I would say, actually, it is quite a neat trick of saying, listen, I'm the same bloke from last time. You know, I've not changed. I've stayed true to my principles, blah, blah, blah. But, but it still, I think, ultimately comes across as a bit lazy. Do you think that he thought that he would be able to get away with it because he is so perfectly smooth? <laughs> and consequently... <laughs> looks like the same doesn't man. age <laughs> yeah. because he's an auton yes now you want to talk about Rayman Shishti <laughs> yes I do your I boyfriend yeah. your Rayman from Rayman yeah well listen I will put it it's the video was shot in such a way he definitely looked he was like the best looking uh, of all of the people in my Actually, opinion he looked so. really oh good God, I, I thought that as well yeah. Yeah. for people who haven't seen it which is every single person on the planet it's basically <laughs> a handheld iPhone shot yeah. from kind of like waist level in a high wind and like it starts <laughs> off with him just talking about how he came to Gillingham as a child without a word of English and you're like this is a really good pitch to be the MP for Gillingham and it's like that's why I want to lead the contest what? <laughs> and it's like I was just watching that whole video thinking like first where are you <laughs> and crucially who are you and both I love the idea of just his incredibly bored wife being like are we done? Are we like, done are we, do I have to keep filming this? I will give him one thing. He shot it at, you know, the golden hour when the sun is just going down. <laughs> yeah. So you're lit from one side. You look like you're in a Western. He did that. Well, look. However, yeah, he, however, he failed to put the fluffy thing on the mic. So everything he said was a <laughs> howling wind battering. <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. I bet, yeah, everyone's like, oh, he's very handsome. It's like the thirst traps we did not. <laughs> Mick Lynch and, and Remen, just, you know, who knew? Yeah. These are the thirst traps of 2022. I think we're going to be calling Remen Kush from now on. Uh, finally then, uh, people, uh, if there was a gun held to your head, who would you vote for out of this lot? <laughs> Wouldn't need a gun. Reman all the way. Okay, all right. Marie? Oh, well, I'm a Shaps gal. Shaps gal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Aisha? Oh, I think I'm... Um, I'm Sebastian Fox. Sebastian Fox. Okay, I think. No, was... Actually, do you know? Do you know who I would vote for? And I don't think he can run because he's only a local councillor. But look up Tiger Patel, Tiger Patel. the councillor from Blackburn. I knew who you were going to say when you started the sentence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's, what's the deal with Tiger Patel? I think you need to find out for yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Seeing is believing. Me, okay. I, I won't be able to do it justice. Well, on the basis of these candidates, if the gun was held to my head, I would say pull the trigger. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of this week's bunker, which means it's time for the panel's escape routes. What entertainments, books, films, music, and so forth have given our panelists a break from thinking about Raymond Shishti? Uh, Aisha, what's your escape route for the week? I'm I'm so sorry. I'm incredibly lowbrow. The only thing that is giving me any respite from the drama at Westminster is the drama from Love Island. I am <laughs> as addicted. I know, but it's but you know what I did. <laughs> I did a panel on uh, my show over the weekend about what young conservatives were looking for, and the whole thing was basically Love Island. They could only speak to me. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> love Island, they were like, oh, well, such and such, he's got to do a lot more grafting. And this person is like turning my head and like Penny's really turning my head and all the stuff. And, you know, basically everyone got the ick for Boris Johnson and there was like a massive recoupling. So I'm seeing Love Island. It's actually helping me with all my political metaphors. I am now so old, disconnected from absolutely everything. This means nothing to me. Marie. Uh, I have been, so I've, I don't know if everyone has this, but I've got what I call my brain bad books, uh, which is that when life gets a bit overwhelming, I've got books I basically read again uh, to soothe myself. Um, and yeah, mine are the Thursday Next series by Jasper Ford, which are absolutely brilliant. So it's basically detective novels set inside novels. So it's it's in a world that's nearly like our own, but not entirely. And there's a branch of the police effectively that investigates crimes in books, so criminals going into classic works of literature, like from mm. our world that, that you'd recognise and either like kidnapping characters or killing them etc and then the police kind of goes into the books to chase them etc it's so fun um, and there, there's quite a few of them as well so yeah I, I've just restarted uh, reading them Amazing, release the Ford Report uh, Here, how about you? So I am finally coming to the end of season four of Stranger Things uh, which I know has been out for a little while but the episodes are very very lengthy like they're all, they're all like a full film uh, and everything so I'm currently halfway through the very final one uh, and looking forward to that this evening and I think yeah exceptionally wonderful it's, it's a very nice thing to have uh, just crafted this this world that they have that sort of does retain its internal logic after a few series as well. Mm. Like very frequently you watch shows that it's like, ah, we intended for it to be one series and then it's very successful, so all right, we'll keep it going. And it just loses uh, loses that steam. Like something like there, there will be truthers on this, but Lost is a prime example mm. uh, of that, I think, losing its way. And I think Stranger Things has kept its way and I'm looking forward to seeing the very end of it. Are they that. still doing the Upside Down, which we have been living in for the past five years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a nice uh, vision into our own world. Nice. Uh, and once we escape from this studio, I too will be warding off bats whose faces open up. Okay, fair enough. Well, mine is um, the Viagra Boys album, Cave World. The Viagra Boys are a bunch of uh, absolutely disgusting, loud and shouty Swedish punks. They're also extremely funny and clever. And a large part of the theme of their current noisy, rackety album, Cave World, is they hate anti-vaxxers and they hate anti-science people and they make <laughs> mock of them. And I think that's an excellent thing for a disgusting punk rock band to be doing. The idea that you're getting good sense from the disgusting punk rock bands in today's world I think tells you a lot about something I don't know what it is but treat yourself we talked about it a lot on the Culture Punk of the other day um, Cave World by Viagra Boys but don't go searching Viagra Boys <laughs> on the internet because you're immediately directed to do you have a problem with abusing drugs so they just use V asterisk asterisk Grab Boys go search for, search for Cave World and that's the end of this week's Bunker thank you Aisha Hazarika Thank you so much. Thank you to Marie Lacalt. Thanks for having me. And thank you to Ahir Shah. Just thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with another Bunker Daily and, of course, the full-length show in seven days' time. If you like what we're doing, of course, you can support us on the crowdfunding site Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast for all the benefits. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Bunker was presented by Andrew Harrison with Marie Lacalt, Aisha Hazarika and Ahir Shah. The producers were Jacob Archbold and Jelena Sofronevich, and audio production came from me, Robin Lieber. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor is Andrew Harrison, our music is by Kenny Dickinson, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters production.